Ah, good morning, everybody. It is a beautiful, sunny morning as I poodle my way across to yet another Hearing Dogs gig. I'm Paul, and this is the Mastering Portrait Photography Podcast. It is truly a beautiful morning here in southern central England. Just driving past all of the kids are all queued up to go into school, all at two metres distance. The sun is pouring through the windscreen to the point where it's a little bit glary, if I'm honest. But the sky is blue. It's got that chill. You know that chill you get in the air at about this time of year, which is just wonderful. I'm in one of those really happy, joyous moods today. I found myself grinning yet again at the sound of a music track. Yesterday, I was driving back from this wedding at Le Manoir and Joan Armour Trading. So this is a bit of a hike back to, I'm guessing, the late 70s. Joan Armour Trading, love and affection. Just a classic track. And for some reason, for some reason, it just, I don't know, it spiked me and I had this huge grin couldn't stop smiling and I haven't really lost it this morning and I'm feeling pretty joyous. What's happened this week? Well, I ran a masterclass, that was a lot of fun. Uh, We do, broadly speaking, I guess one a month, I think, a one-on-one masterclass. Incidentally, if anyone's interested, we can do these safely during these COVID times because we have a pretty big space to work in and as long as we are doing what we're doing, which is lots of sanitizing, lots of clean down, lots of temperature checking and lots of distance and obviously face masks where appropriate then of course we can run a masterclass the only thing we're struggling with i haven't found an answer to it is the photoshopping component so we can do all of the photography side but struggle a little bit if i'm honest to do the um photoshopping the post-production because we'd have to be sitting pretty close to you at least with our current setup i'm working on that i'm trying to find a solution where uh, we can sit separately and see the same big screen it's i mean we've got all of the kit It's just that it's not really configured in a way that I can do it. Nonetheless, the masterclass was wonderful. We had Emma and Lucy as models in the morning and then Ryan in the afternoon. So we did a couple of siblings and sisters in the morning shoot and then uh, we photographed a very tall Ryan who's six foot eight. He's a friend of my my daughter's rather. And although I've known him all of these years, somehow I'd never noticed just how tall he was. So part of the workshop in the end was how to deal with incredibly tall people but it's a beautiful shoot beautiful images and i'll get those out onto a blog or onto instagram or somewhere like that in the future uh, certainly martin our attendee the guy who we were running the masterclass for is very happy and i've seen his pictures and he's taken some blinders so that was really nice uh, a whole load of portrait shoots this week family stuff you know really really lovely just a lot of fun lots of headshots still not quite certain what's driving that but i think i'm doing more headshot shoots than any other type of shoot it feels like i'm doing more maybe when i look at the numbers it just feels that way but we're certainly doing this year a huge increase in the number of headshot sessions we're doing i've got one tomorrow as well which is great fun like i said in a previous podcast for me a headshot is a very pure form of portraiture it's exactly what i love to be doing it's wonderful so i'm very happy doing that what else have we done been recording lots of videos or rather or rather i I say recording lots of videos we've been trying to get the hang of recording a video that will become 
the blueprint for all other videos. So it's taking us a little bit of a moment to get it all together, but hopefully have now figured out how to green screen me into a virtual studio. Because I thought it'd be a really useful trick is to be able to illustrate really clearly what's going on when we're lighting without actually being stood in a dark studio. Because being stood in a dark studio is not particularly conducive to imparting information about what's going on. So hopefully I've got that nailed now and we should have the first of those videos out hopefully early next week. That's my plan. A lot depends on getting some stuff done. The next article for Professional Photo Magazine is due out to the editor on Monday and that might just absorb what little time I have uh, over the next few days but we will see. And then yesterday, yeah, a wedding, beautiful wedding, just two people at Le Manoir. Uh, I mean, this is the venue. I love Le Manoir so, so much. Not just because it is a stunning location or because by all accounts, the food is to die for, but simply because the people down there are so unbelievably lovely. It was Jenny looking after the wedding yesterday, who is from the events team. And she is just amazing. She's got a heart as big as a football and it was really really lovely and the couple had the most amazing day and what was a really interesting twist is that we had a Raymond Blanc OBE as one of the witnesses which of course added a frisson of excitement and humor for all concerned uh, I've worked with him for a very long time and he's a proper live wire you know the man could not be kinder more generous and more energetic but trying to contain him as a witness was entertaining even to the point where when the registrars pulled out the register that they are going to sit and sign, Raymond sat down to sign it. And I had to say to him, RB, it's, it's not you, mate. It's the bride and groom that signed it first. You're a witness. Much apologizing going on and laughter as he got back out of the seat and put the pen back down. Uh, of course, COVID took its toll. Lots of blue gloves and face masks and all of that kind of thing, which uh, wasn't a huge amount of fun, but it was all more than made up for by having just such a wonderful setting and some champagne. <laughs> champagne it turns out fixes everything and then today as I said right at the beginning I'm heading over to the hearing dogs for today's what looks like to be a very sunny shoot so anyway on to today's topic and it's all about judging or assessing images and this came about or the thought for this came about from a number of different threads the originating thread was I was watching of all things MasterChef the professionals which is syndicated all around the world. So I'm sure you have your own version of it in your country. And I think it's the original one here in Britain. Either way, it doesn't really matter. But they were judging food, which they do throughout. And it occurred to me, I mean, one guy didn't do so well because he brought in, he was from uh, Asia somewhere. I can't remember exactly where. This is going back a few weeks. But he brought in a whole suite of incredible Asian colours and inspirations and flavours and spices and herbs and things. And the judges didn't really like the food. And I was curious as to whether that was down to the fact that he hadn't done a particularly good job of creating the food or whether simply that it was so far outside of the judges' experience that they didn't know how to assess it. Of course, I've got no way of knowing, and all of the people concerned seemed pretty content with the outcome. But nonetheless, it occurred to me that we have the same problem in photography. How can I judge an image, or can any judge judge an image, when their experiences don't expand to that particular genre, or style, or inspiration of photography? 
how do you do it? Because I'm asked to do it all of the time. And so I kind of thought it'd be an interesting thing just to chat a little bit about. And on top of that, there was a question came in on an email and it was what triggered last week's podcast. And one of the questions buried further down, or rather a commentary further down, was that the person involved had entered a competition in the hope of getting a critique. And of course, that didn't happen. And it never really does when you're doing competitions if you want a critique you enter a critique so broadly speaking I think there are three kinds of judging so this is just as a little bit of background I think and feel free to disagree with me I'm not I'm not precious about this it's just this is my viewpoint I think there are three types of judging that we do or assessing that we do there's critiquing a critique is simply where usually one photographer, occasionally two photographers, but it's usually one photographer, will sit down with a bunch of images and give feedback on what they see, how it makes them feel, and areas in which they can improve. Then there are competitions. Competitions are literally what it says on the tin, a competition, where the judges are looking to find winners. Then there are qualifications. Qualifications are almost, well they should always be done by a panel of photographers. Incidentally, I'm up to Preston next week, up to the BIPP headquarters, the British Institute of Professional Photographers next week, to be part of a panel judging for qualifications. I think we've got 14 qualifications. Have we? Or maybe it's not, maybe it's not quite that many. Maybe it's eight qualifications. No, I think it's quite a lot to do next week. More on that next week. With a little luck, I will do a podcast up there if I can figure out, make sure we're being, covid safe uh, i'd love to get some input from the judges i'll be i'm working alongside and you know maybe add to this particular conversation but nonetheless so you can hear the land rover rattling around i took a back row because i thought it'd be quieter but it turns out it's incredibly bumpy um, i should have stuck to the main roads this morning i think anyway qualifications are what they are panel of judges assessing images for uh, a qualification level so let's just have a quick chat or quick think about each of those areas. The first, critiquing. Critiquing is purely and simply a way of giving feedback on images that should be in a non-confrontational, non-competitive manner. It's an opportunity for you as a photographer and for the judge who's doing the critique to share ideas. Admittedly, it's offline, so the, the Someone will submit an image and then at some point later on, usually it's done offline. As in, by offline I mean not face-to-face. -face. If you can do face-to-face -face, it's much more powerful because you get to have a discussion and see someone's reaction as you're doing it. Because your job as someone who's running a critique, in my opinion, is to further the development of that photographer. It's not to destroy them, it's not to say the image is crap, it's none of the shit that I hear go on so much of the time. A critique, a critique is an opportunity for you as a judge to help develop the ideas and the knowledge of another photographer. That's what a critique is. And it's really powerful like that. Of all the types of judging, it's probably the most powerful. Its weak link, really, is that it's typically one judge talking. And if you ever have one judge, then you know you're getting a very subjective view. It's not a balanced view, and you have to rely on that judge having a very wide set of experiences. Competitions. Competitions are purely and simply a ranking exercise. Occasionally, we will put a cutoff in if we feel there aren't enough images of a certain standard. And it's, 
more often than not this is done by more than one photographer but I do still end up judging competitions as a solo photographer but they're usually small competitions they're usually camera clubs and the like anything bigger than that and there will be a panel of judges and that's really important because it gives you the breadth of experience on which to base the ranking but it's a ranking we're given a thousand images and we're gonna rank them from one probably from 1 to 20 and then the rest so you have a cutoff mark and then you're going to rank the rest that's effectively what we're doing winning a competition is a combination of producing a great image and a little bit of luck because you have to have produced an image that's not just a great image but it's a better image than the great image that the people alongside you produced and you're competing with so it's an interesting space it can be soul destroying and it can be very rewarding what no one must do is read anything into it because you win or lose a competition doesn't give you any information about how good you are. It doesn't. I mean, if you've won dozens of competitions and you're always winning them, all right, maybe you can take some credit for that. But a competition doesn't really give you anything except a little bit of silver that you can stick on a shelf and give you some marketing. And that's really powerful too, and it can inspire you and it can push you. There is a lot of upsides to a competition, mostly that in the process of developing your images for competition of course you finish them to an incredibly high standard but that's where it stops that's it you can't really take much more from a competition than that and then there are qualifications and qualifications essentially I, I come from a science world and a qualification is a little bit like a peer review it's a little bit like when I got my PhD and the professors had to look at it it's a little bit like when I published papers and they were peer-reviewed to go into science journals power of qualifications is at the end of the day you have five judges usually five plus a spare looking at your work and deciding whether in their opinion whether those images are worthy of calling that photographer you the photographer a member of this particular band this particular club are you upholding the standards so that any other photographer at that level will go yes that person is working at the same level or above as me and that's how it works it's sort of a peer review and I love that I love that because it's a very fair system it might not always feel like it and of course it has been abused over the years which drives me slightly crazy but in the end you're gonna face five judges those five judges are gonna decide between them whether your work a body of work is worthy of a certain qualification level and I think that is wonderfully powerful I actually think of all the things you can do critiques and qualifications are the most useful and of course competitions are the things that everybody pays attention to because when you win a competition it makes for some fabulous PR so in the next half of this podcast because I've arrived at the hearing dogs I need to switch off the engine and go and find my client in the next half as I drive home we'll have a think about how as a judge do you overcome or how as a judge are you qualified to judge images that might well be outside your sphere of experience. Well, here we are, it is three hours later and oh, the Land Rover is so hot, but if I put the air conditioning on, all of the fan blowers start going, which is just a huge distraction. So forgive me if I'm sounding a little bit hot. We were talking about judging images and how can you judge something that is outside of your sphere of experience? And I think there's a couple of angles to have a look at. The first off is, of course, every judge, and for that matter, every photographer, should expand their sphere of experience. <laughs> Rather than saying, 
you only know one thing and then trying to judge something else off it. Expand, try other genres of photography. Try enough of everything. As a judge, your job is to know enough of everything as best you can to be able to comment knowledgeably on whatever it is you're assessing. And this must be true of the chefs, right? You know, great chefs drag influences from all over the world. And on that note, I was at Le Manoir yesterday and with a little bit of luck, I have the agreement of the executive chef, Chef Gary Jones, to come on the podcast to talk about how he takes both the experiences that he's had and brings them into his food, but then also how detail and exceptional service are so important when you are, like us, creating experiences for a living. But as an aside, I think as a photographer you need to try lots of different things. If I'm going to judge wildlife photography, I better have at least some experience of wildlife photography. And I have some, not a huge amount, but enough to know the challenges and enough to know just how hard that is. As it happens, although I'm a portrait photographer, and this is a portrait photographer's podcast, I'm also a wedding photographer. It just so happens I'm a wedding photographer that uses portrait photography rather than the slightly more fashiony elements, or at least I don't specialise in the more fashiony elements. I still do them, but I spend more time essentially creating portraits of people in very posh clothes. Uh, that's my view of a wedding. But I've done enough of the more formal, the more controlled, to know exactly what it is I'm looking at and certainly to understand the challenges. Portrait photography, well, of course, that's my sweet spot. Product photography, although occasionally I have to judge that, I've got an industrial design background, so I bring that into the mix. I know how design works, so I know how products function, and I know what it is you should be trying to do in terms of the aesthetic of the image and also the aesthetic of the product. And so on, from that front, both of those angles are reasonably reasonably well covered. I suspect my weakest subject when I'm asked to judge is probably anything to do with architecture because I don't have enough of an experience to draw on. So when I'm working with other judges, what I do is I simply talk about the areas of the image that I really do understand. If it's a print competition, I really do understand print. If it's files we're judging, I understand enough about you know, the prep, well, I understand a lot about the prep for a screen, the sharpness, the colours, the way compression works when you're using JPEGs and things, to be able to know whether, at least on the production elements, the technical elements, I'm analysing the image correctly. And these are all because I've drawn on a lot of experiences, I've brought in a lot of ideas. But also, you need wider ideas. I'm talking about genres of photography, but actually you need a much broader base than even that. You need to travel. You need to read books. You need to listen to music. You can't just be a photographer. You need to taste food. Anything, anything at all that fires up those bits of your brain that give you creativity and imagination. Because it's those that you draw on. It's, those, it's that stimulus that you draw on when you're looking at an image. How does that image make you feel? And I'll come to a final point on this at the end of the podcast, but it's important. Also, though, for competitions in particular, we're looking very much at technical aspects. So even as a non-specialist, you can certainly get within a mark or two of other judges by looking at the technical elements. And yes, in that regard, competition images do have to be technically sound. A slightly blurred image is unlikely, unlikely to do well in a competition. And you can argue rightly or wrongly whether that's good or bad it's certainly the way it is you know highlights blown out shadows 
blocked up. These are the kinds of things that you will get marks deducted for in a competition as you will in a panel judging. Unless, of course, what you specialise in is breaking the rules and showing images like that that look fantastic. You can break every rule you like if at the end of the day the judges can clearly see that what you're trying to do is stylized or avant-garde or whatever. And on a, there was a point actually that came up in the judging last or earlier this year in January at the SWPP, which is that it's not the judge's fault if they don't understand what you're trying to say. And that's really important too. So if you're entering a critique or a judging of any sort, it's not the judge's fault if they don't know what you're trying to say. Because we literally, for 99% of what we judge, get nothing more than a print or an image on a screen, an X by Y bunch of pixels or dots to assess. I've got no way of knowing the background story. I've got no way of knowing that, you know, this couple have just divorced or they've just got together. I've got no way of knowing, you know, this family are dealing with all sorts of challenges. I've got no way of knowing that that lion is in the wild or is in a wildlife park. You know, my job is not that. My job is to assess the image and try and extract whatever it is that I read. And that again goes back to my point, I'm a much better judge if I'm reading books, watching films, watching TV, listening to music, watching music videos, creating images of my own, creating videos of my own. These are all skills that I bring in that help me try and find the meaning in someone else's image because there's a, a, an increased likelihood that I'm gonna be able to latch onto some of the signaling that's going on in there if I have a broad base of experiences myself. But the point is, it's still down to the author, the photographer, you, to make sure that the image portrays what it is you're trying to portray. And here's a problem, which is that when you publish your images or you assess your own images, it's highly likely that you will see the messaging in it because the messaging is, is in your head. You don't use visual cues, you're using your memory, you're using a priori knowledge, you're using the experience that you had creating the image and that becomes your story. The problem is, it's not necessarily true that every other person who views that image will get the same story. So be very careful of that. If you're at all worried, find a friendly photographer, not, not Joe Public, not, not family member, unless they are a professional photographer, ideally, Find a photographer who will help you, once in a while, assess your images. Put the images in front of them and ask them what do they see? What do they feel? What do they, what do they spot in that image that you haven't noticed? Because if you can do that, you might just get a more objective view, if there is, ever is such a thing, of what messages you're portraying. And you'd be amazed at how little or how different the messages that come across are from what you intended. So if you can do that, that's really good. And I've talked about this numerous times in our studio, I do not do our image selections. I will go back and find the odd image here and there for a competition or for Instagram because I'm not necessarily picking images that are, that are what my client wants. I'm gonna pick out images probably that another photographer might like. And that's fine, I'm pretty good at that. But Sarah is so much better at picking out the images that portray the love in a family or the joy in a child's face or the characterfulness of a toddler you know these are the things that I'm supposed to be portraying these are the things I sell every day those messages and it's precisely because of this psychology of you see what you want to see in your own images that I get somebody else to do it so the onus is on you as the photographer as the submitter of the image 
to be critiqued or judged to make sure the message that you're trying to portray is clear. Now, messages, I mean, not, I'm not a huge one for reading deeply into an image. For me, an image is beautiful, an image is not beautiful. I see emotion in some things. Of course, if it's got a face in it, I tend to read faces anyway for a living. But there is still this joy in a well-produced, creative, unusual image that is visceral. You know when you're looking. You do, you know when you're looking at an amazing image. And I'm gonna round off on this exact point because I did an image critique for Rise, Karen Massey and the guys at Rise, which I'm still just editing down. But I sat through 29 images and talked about all 29. It's about two hours long, the critique. Because I do feel like if you've gone to the effort of submitting an image for critique, then the person who's running the critique owes it back to you to spend a little time being useful and maybe, hopefully, giving a little bit of encouragement. The last image of the set is out of focus. And it's out of focus by a pretty large margin. It's not subtly out of focus, it's out of focus. I don't know if it's deliberate or accidental. I've got no way of knowing. My suspicion, given the sun flare from the background, is it's accidental because it's hard to focus in those conditions. However, in this image is a couple, a same-sex couple. It's in black and white. It's shot against the sun, so a sunset. It's There's something about it that hit me. Now, I don't know whether another judge would feel the same way. I suspect not, but it hit me really quite powerfully. It's a stunning image. It's full of emotion. It evokes memories of me with black and white film and a Zenith E-M, I think is my camera, was my camera, Russian unit with a Helios manual focus lens on the front, which was never in focus. I mean, it didn't matter what the split display in the viewfinder said, it was almost never in focus. We loaded up with black and white film, some of which I was developing myself, which made it slightly muddy and grainy. And this image took me right back. I could almost smell the chemicals in the dark room as I looked at it. So this one image sparked in my head this whole debate about whether having an image that's clearly technically below standard, all right? There's, I don't think I can argue anything else, to be honest. It's technically below standard. And yet, from an emotive point of view, just made me smile. It just struck a chord. And what do you do with that? What do you do when probably that image is not gonna do well at competitions? I doubt it'll do well at competitions. I could be wrong, you know. It'd be interesting to hear other judges talk about the image. And yet, it had such a powerful impact on me. I don't know the answer to that, but what I will say is that for once, I gave an image that I could see was substandard and absolutely glowing critique. And on that happy note and a little bit of a thought about the difference between technical and emotion and how you have to gather many, many experiences. You have to gather a world, a lifetime of flavors to be able to judge food. And similarly in photography, you have to gather a lifetime of experiences to be able to judge images. And on that very, I hope a happy note, because I'm feeling very chilled. I'm having a lovely journey home. The sun is still shining. I've had a great shoot. It's been fun talking to you. And this time, I really do mean this. It's really important. 
when we're talking about image critiques and the fact that people beat themselves up when they're having their image critiques, don't. Take what the judges are telling you. Take it, use it, become better tomorrow. It's a thoroughly positive, thoroughly uplifting thing to do at the end of the day. So on that note, remember whatever else, be kind to yourself. Take care.